Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Holly, a hand. She did a great job. Yeah, I know it's nerve-wracking sitting in front of a camera. Yeah, she did a great job. Thanks, Holly, for sharing your story this morning. Hey, we want to welcome you this morning to Joey at first. Um, just a random side note. Um, I know some of you are expecting. I'm not going to look at you that uh, if you are expecting a baby uh, out of, uh, of respect for you and, and not throwing you under the bus in front of everybody. But one cool thing is that we, uh, I shouldn't say we, uh, one person has worked on a room uh, for expecting mothers. And so if you are planning to nurse in here in the future, we just want you to know that there's a room for you to feel comfortable and uh, for mothers to feel comfortable. And that's great. So we invite you to check it out. It's uh, room five. If you just walk directly down this hall, um, Debbie put a ton of work into it over the course of the week, and it looks fantastic. It looks amazing. So if you just go down there after after the service, we'd love for you to see the work that she's done. And hey, just congratulate her because it looks fantastic. So hey, it's been a good week. Um, I, I don't know about you. We were we took a little staycation for the week. It's been good for us. Um, as you may know, and I'm sure my son will tell you, he broke his arm over the week. And um, it was a lot of fun, you know, but, but we, he was... We had a good time, and, and thanks for, again, um, for, for letting us take some rest and, and just to get away for a few minutes. But I'm excited because we're starting uh, one of my favorite things to talk about, which is running in circles. And this is the, the name of our new series, Running in Circles. I don't know about you, but how many of you grew up with this phrase in your life? We would say to somebody who is chaotic, crazy, and has pandemonium in life as somebody that is what? Running in circles, that's right. In fact, they were, like when I think about people that run in circles, I think about people who come in and they've got briefcases and suitcases and they've got everything, papers flying everywhere. Their hair looks like they've just come out of a wind tunnel. You've met these people. You work with some of these people. You go to school with some of these people. Come on, you've been around them. You know people that are running in circles. And we would say this, rarely do we perceive people who are running in circles as sound healthy and rational, right? You've, you've pointed them out. You say, I don't want to be like them. I know I don't want to look like them. I know I don't want to do what they do. I don't want to be like people who run in circles. But at Joliet First, we're just kind of trendsetters. We are, we're kind of different. And so we think that running in circles is a good thing. Uh, we do think it's healthy. In fact, we've learned a few things over the course of time. And that is this, is that we know that when you don't run in circles, you'll end up Running in circles, that's just part of life. If you don't find yourself running in circles, you'll be running in circles. And so we have learned that running in circles is life essential. And that's kind of the big thought for the next four weeks is that running in circles is life essential. And the reason we believe that running in circles is life essential is because we have witnessed lives being changed. We've watched marriages become healthy and grow. We've watched people develop character. And most of all, and what's really most important to you and to me, is that we have watched people grow forward, grow forward in their faith. That's kind of our mission statement. We want to lead people to a forward-moving relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know why you've come here today, but that's what we exist for, is to help you to move forward in your faith. And so today, we, the, the main idea that we're going to be working with is this, is that running in circles creates connection. 
That's right. Running in circles creates connection. That's kind of the main idea. And after we pray for this message, I'm going to give you the big idea right up front. So if you fall asleep or you check out or you have to leave early, uh, you can just have it. And, and it's right up front. So would you pray for me as we begin this new series? And um, I'm excited for it. Lord, we give thanks for this time together. I pray that our minds and our hearts would be open and receptive to your word. We thank you for followers that have given us the example of what it looks like to be devoted moving, thriving, healthy followers of Jesus Christ. And so we give thanks for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I just got to be honest right up front, and this is just an honest moment. I don't know about you, but I have a fear of packed elevators. Not necessarily of elevators. I don't mind riding in elevators. But anytime we, I, I go to hospital visits, I can sense it coming. Hospital visits, sporting events, or even hotels. Come on, you, you've done this. I have this fear of packed elevators. And, and I don't know what it is, but people just don't seem to get it. Right? There is a weight limit posted on the elevator, and it's almost like a game. You go from floor to floor to floor, and as you go up, people can see that it's full, but they don't care. Right? They just turn around and they kind of shimmy on in. And, and I don't know about you, but that, that really bugs me. I have a fear of being in a packed elevator. And, and part of it is because I feel trapped. How many of you have ever been trapped in the corner? Is that not awkward for you? You find yourself in the back and you see more and more people pushing in. And, and like they're up against you. And I'm like, I don't know you. I don't want to touch you. I don't want to smell you. I really don't want you being around me at all. Like it's really, really uncomfortable. And, and I don't know, but when it's packed, has anybody had the buzzer go off? You know, you just, anybody have that? And it's like, oh goodness, here we go. Like, we're going down. The elevator can't hold the weight. Hello, the weight limit. Here goes the rope. Here goes the cord. We're falling 100 feet to our death. Like, not exciting to me at all. Maybe it's exciting to you. Uh, apparently it is. But one of the other things that I noticed about <laughs> elevators is that there's a good chance when you're in a packed elevator, there's at least one crazy person in there. So in the, in the event that it does fall or the event that you get locked in or somebody just hits the emergency button or it gets stuck, there's a good chance somebody is going to lose their cool, right? Out of all those people, that's why I hate packed elevators. I know that somebody's going to lose it, somebody's going to lose their cool, and we're going to be stuck with a crazy person on the elevator. The other thing that I, really just bugs me and scares me about elevators is the whole communication issue that we're just ignoring that everybody knows is there, right? You get in a packed elevator, you don't look at the person next to you and say, how are you today? Are you doing, you do that when there's one or two, but when there's 52 of you in an elevator, everybody looks at the floor, everybody looks at the ceiling, but nobody looks at each other. And it's like, we just pretend, we just pretend like nobody else is in there but us. And I don't know about you, but that's awkward. It's just awkward to me. I, I, I don't know. But um, one of my favorite jokes about an elevator, I'll get to the point. And I don't, I don't mean to be distasteful or whatever, but uh, my high school football coach told me this. And I love this joke. He says, and this is just free advice for you. He said, if two people are in an elevator and one passes gas, both people know who did it. So before, uh, you know, you, you think about doing that in an elevator with just two of you, you may want to reconsider that. <laughs> but I say all that to say this, that... I think elevators, in many ways, serve as a storyline for how we live life, right? That, that there obviously are ups and downs. That's a given. There's ups and downs. But for so many of us, we feel like we are surrounded by people, and yet we feel like we are so alone. Like, that's what elevators do, right? You're surrounded by people. You're crowded by people. But yet you feel like nobody around you cares, and you feel like nobody knows you, and you feel isolated, 
And that's got to be true in your life. You've experienced this before. Some of you, right, you've just started a new job maybe, and, and you walk into the office your first day or wherever your job is located, and there are, there are colleagues around you, and you know that their eyes are staring at you, and you, even though you're surrounded by people, you feel like you're alone. Some of you are going to be going off to college. Uh, some of you are going to be starting at a new school this year. And many of you know that when you walk onto a campus, eventually you'll make friends. Hopefully, that's the hope. But that first day is always awkward because you're surrounded by so many people and you don't know anybody and you hope that you'll get to know somebody but in that moment even though you're surrounded by people you feel you feel like you're alone maybe you've just moved to Joliet or to the area or you moved into the city uh, wherever it is when you move in maybe you move into a different neighborhood right and it just so happens you're always surrounded by people that yet you feel like you don't know anybody and I could be wrong, but, but I think for so many of us, especially when it comes to the church, maybe this has been your experience over the course of your life, is that when you come into church, when you walk into this church, you know that there are people around you, but you feel fearful, you feel like maybe they're judging you, you feel like you're afraid, and you feel like in the midst of people, you're alone. Anybody have this experience? Is this just me? I've, I've been in churches before where it just feels like, man, I'm just not here. I'm just not connected. I just feel isolated. And, and what, I'm going to go out on a limb on this one, but I would say that many of us, if that's your experience at church, that's also your experience with Jesus. Now, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, my guess is uh, at some point in your life, you have felt disconnected from who God is. We're supposed to be understanding. We're supposed to be knowing. We're supposed to be searching. We're supposed to be finding. We're supposed to be discovering. We're supposed to be relating to this guy, connecting to this guy named Jesus. And yet for so many of us, so many of us, it feels like a mystery. It feels like I just can't get into it. I just can't connect. And you know what really bugs me is when people give you, and I do this anyway, uh, so I, I guess I'm really annoyed with myself, but you give people prayers, you hand them prayers, or you say, use this devotional, or, or try this, or do this, or, and, and people look at you and they'll shake your head. And you know when you've received that, you're just like, yeah, it may work for you, but it's not working for me. And my guess is, my guess is for so many of us, our deepest connection to Christ actually comes when we just come to church on Sunday. When we're just here on Sunday. And I would say to you, I would say to you that that is not a healthy way to live. In fact, this is the big point for today. Yep, thanks, Ryan. You can put it back up. The big point for today is this, is that our deepest connection to Christ, our connection to Christ is only as deep as our connection to others in Christ. Our connection to Christ is only as deep as our connection to others in Christ. And I know you're saying, okay, so the point is connection. How do we do that? Why is that so important? And what's so fun is we have a story that's going to help us unpack this very idea today to help us understand that our deepest connection to Christ, the way we relate to Jesus, the way we move forward in our relationship is through other people. And so this morning we're going to look at a story written by a man named Luke. And some of you are familiar with Luke, some of you aren't. But Luke uh, tells us about a new movement taking place. Uh, within the first century, uh, Jesus died on the cross. You know this. He resurrected. He ascended. And when he was gone, a new movement started. It was crazy. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who started following Jesus for the first time. What takes many pastors today 20 years to build, it took him uh, like one day. It took like Peter and the apostles like one or two days to build. 
I mean, you talk about a church planner, you talk about a church thriving. This is what it looks like. And here's what's interesting. We know, we know that when this movement began, it threatened, it threatened the Roman Empire, who, by the way, was the global force for good. They were, they were you know, the, the, the people that everybody looked up to. And the Roman Empire, Julian, in the 4th century, became threatened by this movement we know as the Christian faith. And the reason he was threatened, it's interesting. Uh, they were known as being people who loved each other. They were forgiving of enemies. Uh, they even forgave those who persecuted them. They loved people. And they fed the poor. And they clothed those in need. That's what the Christians did during this time. And, and Julian became so scared that this movement, because people were gathering and gathering and gathering together around this very idea of Jesus, because people were loving each other so well and so much, that he was, he was just scared that they, the Christians, the Christians were going to take over the Roman Empire. And so Julian did what most of us do. He gathered his own pagan priests together, and they gathered together, and they started their own hope closet. They started their own food pantry, and they started clothing people. And you know what? It failed. It failed. But what I find interesting is in the gathering and in the loving and in the caring and in the clothing the poor, they did one thing that brought them together. They did one thing that kept them from feeling like they were isolated and they were all alone. They did one thing that brought health to this community in such a way that even in the face of persecution, they could keep moving forward. In fact, I believe if, if Luke hadn't told us about this practice that we're about to discover today, we wouldn't be here because the movement would have died. And so here's what Luke tells us. He says, I love it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Everybody say, breaking of bread. Come on now, breaking of bread. Wake up now. This is important. Breaking of bread and to prayer. He continues, everyone was filled at all at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. We're going to come back to that. Everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need, which we talked about. And every day they continued to be together in the temple courts. Now here's the important part. They broke bread in their homes not just at church, not just at the temple courts. It says they gathered together in their homes and they broke bread and they what? Ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And he continues, when they ate together, they were praising God and they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And what does it say? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I've highlighted it for you, so, so it should be obvious today. But what is the practice? What is the thing that allowed this community to move forward and to be healthy and to thrive in the middle, in the middle of persecution, in the middle of people pressing up against them, in the middle when everybody said, this isn't going to work out, this will definitely not become a movement, we don't have to worry about these people. What is the one practice they did together? They ate together. And I would say this, that breaking bread, breaking bread together, it is what allows for some of our deepest connections. That our connection to Christ and our connection to others begins by eating together. It begins by breaking bread. 
And so I hate three-point sermons, but I'm going to do three-point sermon anyway today, even though I hate it. It's totally against what I believe when it comes to preaching, but I have to break the laws occasionally. And so this morning, we're going to be using this as the foundation. This idea of eating together or breaking bread creates connection to Christ and to others. And, and you should be asking, because you're so into this this morning, I can tell, you should be asking, how does it create connection? How does eating together create connection? And so it's interesting, I, I love it at the, at the beginning in verse 44, it, it, Luke tells us that all the believers were together and they what? They had everything in common. Now Luke is a genius. I know, I know some of you are doctors and lawyers or whatever, and, and Luke was a doctor at one point, uh, so he was well-educated, especially when it came to philosophy, and there was this philosophy, some of you, i have taken back to high school or even college, remember Plato and Aristotle? Anybody remember those guys, right? Plato and Aristotle. They had their own philosophy about community. And their philosophy was that in order to create the ideal community, the healthy community, the thriving community, we had to have everything in common. So this isn't Luke's language. This is actually Plato and Aristotle's language. And literally, when they say that, they mean we have to have, in order to have a friendship, in order to have a relationship, in order for us to be a healthy community, we have to have, sorry, everything in common. So really, it looked like suburban life, right? You lived in a cookie-cutter home. You drove a cookie-cutter horse, chariot. You, uh, you dated cookie-cutter wives and husbands. You had cookie-cutter jobs and cookie-cutter vacations. Everybody... Everybody who had friendships and who everybody who was part of the community together looked pretty much like everybody else around them. There was no room for people who were different than them. There, were no room, there was no room for people who came from a lower socioeconomic uh, status than them. And, and so there could be relationships, but if you were poor, or if you came from a different background, or you were from a different race, we just don't relate. We aren't going to connect. We'll have a, a patron-client relationship, but that's about the extent of it. And, and our relationship will be built on what you owe me, not necessarily on what I can give you. It's not an equal relationship. This is Plato and Aristotle's philosophy. I know we're, we're going back to school for a minute. But what's interesting is Luke says... He borrows the language, language and he says, they had all things in common. I don't know if you know this, but this was a group of believers who didn't have anything in common. In fact, when we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus doesn't care whether you have money, whether you're a religious leader, whether you're poor, whether you're Hispanic, whether you're black, whether you're white. He doesn't care where you come from. Jesus says, hey, join the movement. Come be a part of this. And it says they ate together, they gathered around together, and they had everything in common. In other words, Luke begins to define what friendship looks like in the first century. Luke is redefining for the community what friendship looks like when we are followers of Jesus. Luke is redefining for this community when they eat together, we don't care what you look like, where you came from, or, or what you're doing in life. You don't have to look like me to join me at the table. And so breaking bread breaks down barriers and it paves the way for connection. This is the first point. Luke is wanting to say to us at the very beginning, when we eat together, we break down barriers. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you can disagree, but here in America, we are still 
divided on a lot of things. Here in our church, we are still divided on a lot of things. And one of the things that we want to practice in this community is that we eat together when we are running in circles. When we run in circles, we eat together. And the reason we do it is to break down barriers. One of my favorite shows, it's a cooking show. And the reason why I like it is because I can't cook. Um, I can only grill. And I can only grill one or two things. So <laughs> there you go. Thank God you're not married to me. Um, <clears throat> But I can't cook, and so I just love watching people who know what they're doing. It's, it's interesting to me, but there's this uh, one show uh, a few years ago called Lydia's Italy. I've told you about this. And one of the things I love is I was half asleep, uh, and I woke up for the ending, and she said to me, she said to me, because she was talking directly, I was the only one watching. She said, um, I love this. She said, when we approach a table, when we gather for a meal, we walk in defensive. We walk in with barriers up. We walk up with a defensive posture. We walk in with an attitude like, you can't break me. Like, we're not going to connect. I'm just going to eat this food and go home. And she says, it's so interesting. The moment we put a warm meal in our stomach, we become open and we become receptive and our walls begin to come down. And she said, food creates open and honest and connected dialogue. And so this is Luke's point from the very beginning. When we look at the first movement followers, they didn't care. When they ate together, it broke down barriers. The other thing I love is that um, in our English language, uh, it reads, they ate together. But it's interesting because Luke is such a genius. And when Luke writes his gospel, he paints this entire story with language that people have they, they've never seen before. I mean, it's deep, deep language. And so when Luke writes this, if we were to look at the original language that Luke writes this in, it actually is one word that literally means to receive nourishment. I love this. And so we have to work with it for just a minute. You're saying, why would he just use one word? And what's interesting is this word is not found anywhere else in the Bible. This is the only time that it's used. And I think the reason why Luke uses one word is he wants to create a unified thought to say that when we meet, we eat. Notice the words, the eight, and together, and Luke puts it into one word to say, when we eat, we meet. And when we meet, we eat. And when we're together, we're going to eat some food. And when we're eating some food, we have to be together. These two are not mutually exclusive. They have to be put together in order for us to receive nourishment. I think Luke wants to tell us that breaking bread creates healthy communities. You can't be healthy if you're not nourished. You can't be healthy if you haven't been fed. You can't be healthy if you're not getting the intake that you need. And I know that so many of us are thinking in terms of food, but Luke's talking about the spiritual life. Like when we break bread together and when we're eating together and when we're gathered together, this is where real nourishment begins to move into our lives. I always find it interesting that, that 
Sometimes some of the most spiritually unhealthy people that I come across are the people who are not part of a group that regularly meets together. And they'll often say, you know, hey, we don't feel fed. We don't feel like we're getting what we need. We don't feel nourished. We don't feel like we're receiving what we want. And what I find interesting is that, well, the problem is, is you're not eating together. You're not gathering together. You're not with people as you gather together in a community. And Luke says it right up front. He says, you want to be healthy? You want to be part of a vibrant community? You want to have a forward-moving relationship with Jesus Christ? You have to be part of a community that breaks bread together and in their homes. And I love the last part of what Luke says in this story. See, I think breaking bread creates an immediate connection to Jesus. Not just to others, but to Jesus. And here's why I know that. Because at the end of this story, at the end of this paragraph, he says, he says, I love this. We go to the next verse. He says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were what? Being saved. And in the first century, this language was so vibrant because they knew exactly what they were talking about. They were talking about Jesus, the one who had forgiven their sins, who resurrected from the dead, and who had given them life. In other words, there were people who were finding Jesus for the first time daily. Daily. He added to their number. And I think... As outsiders, and this is what Julian really was threatened by, was the fact that these people were eating together. And the more that they ate together, the deeper the connection became. Not just with each other, but with Jesus. And there were more and more and more and more followers of Jesus. You can call it being saved, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, there were more following. I know this is a random side note and I could get in trouble, but, um, and this isn't in my notes, so forgive me for whatever comes out of my mouth next. But I was, this morning, I was thinking about this and I was, I was interested at the language of were being saved. I was confused as, why does Luke not say they are continue to being saved? Like, at some point did this end? At some point did this movement stop? At some point did they stop eating together and gathering together? We know later on that other churches, we've read uh, other letters from people like Paul who tell us that people stopped meeting together. And I wonder, I wonder if perhaps that is the biggest issue with the church today is that we think we just need to gather in this big space, but I don't need the little space. I don't need the circles. I just need the sanctuary. And the reason why we aren't adding, adding followers and the reason why God is not adding daily to the number of people who are now following him is because we've gotten in the, out of the practice of breaking bread and connecting with one another that then connects people to Jesus. I love telling this story because it, it really talks about our personal, Janelle and I's personal walk with, with Jesus um, Janelle was teaching. I had just gotten back from deployment, so I was angry at the world and hated everybody that I saw. But we went to this church in Mount Vernon, and we went there for a couple years And while I was finishing up school. And i, I got to be honest, like we went every week, just like many of you do, uh, but the connection to Jesus and the connection to others was absolutely absent. I look back on that time, and I think it was one of the most deprived points of my spiritual life. 
Like, I would have claimed that I'm a Christian, but the bottom line is I look nothing like Jesus. Nothing I said, nothing I did. And I think for me and for us, we felt like we were pretty isolated. We were surrounded by people. We were always around people. But for us, we felt like it was one of the most loneliest places to live. Not just in terms of like hanging out with friends, but in terms of spiritual life as well. And then we moved to this wonderful town called Lee Summit. We started going to this church called New Beginnings. And, um, and I've told this story before, so maybe you'll remember it. Maybe you won't. I don't know. But I was, our first day we come into this church, and we get done singing the first song, and we, we, we begin to welcome each other. And this guy taps me on this shoulder, and he looks like this ginger, he's a big red beard named Carlos. I don't, I've not met many Carloses with a big red beard, but this guy was named Carlos. And, and so I turn around, and he says, hey, are you guys new? And... Yeah, we're, we're, we're new. And he said, well, what are you doing today after church? Well, we don't have any friends. We just moved here. He said, would you like to come out to eat with us? And so we did, and, and I loved it. We went out with their family, and they had kids at the time, and their kids were crazy. One of them was Camden. Camden was my favorite, random side note. But Camden uh, had nothing in his room because he was a terror. Like, literally, it looked like a jail cell. You walked into his room, there was nothing but a mattress on his floor. This kid was out of control. I mean, he would rip down dressers. He would take down the blinds. I mean, he would do anything. The kid was like two, three years old, but he was just a terror. So they just put a mattress in his room. Anyway, we went out to eat with their family, and we loved Camden, and we loved their family so much that we just decided that we were going to do it almost every week. And so every week they would invite us over to their parents' house or we would go out to eat together and we were constantly eating, constantly eating, constantly breaking bread together. And what developed over a course of time is that we finally felt connected to a church that we could call home. We finally felt connected to other people and we finally felt like in many ways we were growing deeper with Christ. And, and I look back on those years and I think that was, that was some of the most formative, fun, forward-moving in my faith kind of years. And the truth is, is this church, we want the same for you. And so, again, the point is this. Our connection to Christ, your connection to Christ, your relationship with Jesus is only as deep as your connection with other people. I mean, I mean, I could be wrong, but my guess is if you're an inch deep with Jesus, there's a good chance that you're an inch deep with everybody else. If, if, you're, if you're not that far or you're not growing in your relationship with God, there's a good chance that you're not in good relationship with other people. If you're not growing with God, there's a good chance that you're not eating together in a group with people. Your connection to Christ is built on the love of other people who are the example of Christ. The reason why we connected so well with those folks from Lee's Summit is because they gave us an expression of Christ's love in such a way we'd never felt before. So I want to talk to, to, to those of you this morning who are feeling lonely. I know some of us are really independent. I know some of us are introverts. I know some of us think we don't need other people and we're energized by being alone. Like one of those INFJs or whatever you are, I, I don't know. There are people who are introverts. There are people who love darkness and being alone. 
Uh, I'm not one of those people, but there are some. And I know that you think for, for you it's healthy to get away from people, and that may be true for a period of time. But there's a good chance that you feel isolated, you feel alone, because you're refusing to be part of a group. You're refusing to build relationships with people. You're refusing, in a healthy way, to run in circles. The only way you will find your way in is by running in circles. And so I just want to say to you, if you feel that way, if you feel like you're desperate, if you feel like you're alone, if you feel like you're not connected, if you feel like you have nobody in your life, I would challenge you this week to get in a group, to find a group, get in a group. We're going to be signing up for groups over the course of the next four weeks. And as we do so, we'll be placing you in groups. And if you have a partner or a friend or somebody that you want to, to, to be in a group with, we're, we're going to put you in with them. But this is where it starts. I'm not talking to just people who feel isolated. I'm also talking to people who have been in the church for years but claim that they're not connected or they don't have really close friends. See, that proves my point. If you've been coming to church here for 20 years and you still don't know people and you still don't feel connected, the pews aren't getting it done for you. You've got to be in circles. You've got to run in circles. You have to be connected. My guess is you won't be using that language when you break bread with other people. And so here's what I want you to do. A couple action steps. And, and this really is the most important part of the message. So if you've checked out, come, come back to me for just one last second. I want you to begin to view your table as a place of sacred space. Some of you have dinner tables. Some of us have dinner tables that we never sit around sit in front of a TV or we go wherever we go. We don't sit around our tables, but I want you to begin to view every meal that you have as an opportunity, not just to connect you to Christ, but maybe to connect somebody who needs to know Christ. I love the story that every day somebody was added to the group of this movement. Some, one day, every day there was somebody who was added to those following Jesus. And maybe your table is a place where people can begin to know Jesus. Maybe it's not here. Maybe it's not in the yellow pews. Maybe it's at your table at home. Maybe your neighbor needs to sit around your table. And so I would encourage you to begin to eat with people and to be with people. And you know what? Whenever you have a meal with people, don't view it as just a way to fill your belly. I would begin to see it as a way to really grow in your relationship with Jesus. You can learn so much from people about yourself, about them, but begin to view your table as a place, a sacred space. The last thing I want you to do is to get in a group. That's it. I want you to get in a group. You can, David, as he said, is going to be back at our forward movement, our next steps table. We want you to move forward in your relationship with Jesus. And so go back there and sign up on a piece of paper. David will be back there to greet you. Or believe it or not, we have this thing called a website. Any of you heard of the internet? A few of you have? Okay. Uh, you can go on there and you'll find under our next steps tab, JolietNaz.org. There's a next steps tab. You go underneath there, you'll see this thing called community group. 
you can click on the button and you can sign up in a matter of seconds. I did it this morning in a matter of like 20 seconds. You can do it too. Last year, we had 60% of our people in small groups. Some churches would love to have that number, but we would love to have 80% of our people in groups. And if you come to me and say, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling this thing. I'm going to ask you, are you in a group? Because if you're not, you probably should. 